we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are somewhat in person. Stereo. Yeah, something stereo. Uh, you know, it's it's the weirdest thing. Um, for some reason, I am actually live in person, sitting next to Alton. Uh, this this hasn't happened in months. Uh, Krebs is still on the other side of the internet. Um, yes, in the two point one sound system that is our voices. I am the subwoofer off to the side. <laughs> yes, uh, Scott may have. I, th- I think Scott's still suffering some trauma from what he did. Well, what we caused him to do, or or something like that. We'll we'll just say it's it. We're not going to talk about that for legal reasons because some of us just can't talk about that. Full disclosure: yes. I've not yet listened to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that said, we're just going to move on because I'm I'm just making crap up, and it's just no. But literally, Alton and I are sitting next to each other in Mythos. An awesome game store that if you are in the area, you must look up and check out because it's awesome and amazing. And, you know, the, the, there's one feature on these chairs that I am um, amazed and, and truly happy for. But I'm just not going to bring it up because it's, it may come across really weird. Uh, so with that said. Get weird, dude. Get weird. Krebs knows exactly yeah, what we're talking the, the, about. I yeah, know. Yes. The butt yes. crack flaps. There are, yes. you know, you're not gonna you're, you're gonna come to this game store. You're gonna sit in a nice, comfy chair, and you're you don't have to worry about seeing someone else's butt crack. You know, yes. I, 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 for people that ha- that suffer from that problem, uh, we truly adore you, but some of us don't want to see it. That's true. And you know, I am grateful that these chairs make it so that you know those individuals that suffer from that, they can do that, and it's not going to be a problem. That's I don't correct. have to see it. And it's fantastic. They can still game and enjoy life, and I can enjoy life too. So I was in the fantastic. store just. I was in the store just yesterday, and I was spared an uncomfortable view by exactly that chair feature. And I am grateful because uh, the gamer who was there uh, was able to enjoy their game, and I was able to enjoy my shopping experience. Yes, and and we did not have to have an uncomfortable moment. Yes. I mean, because you know, let's face it, there is nothing more uncomfortable than something like that. You know, you, 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 when you go to talk to someone and, you know, they've been running and they're exercising and they have giant pit stains on their T-shirt, it, it's uncomfortable. You know, you can smell them. But, you know, at the same time, they've been exercising. It, it makes sense. But sometimes you just don't want to deal with that. I don't know where I'm going with this. We're a geek show. Why are we talking about pit stains? and buttons? Because geek yeah, rhymes with cheek and that stands for pools no it's (laughs) no it's you know why because you are hitting on a thread that all gamers uh can empathize with we have all we there are certain things that we have witnessed in almost every game store we have entered in almost every game store i've entered i have we have our my nose has been graced by the ill hygiene of someone who has not tried hard enough uh in every game store i have seen more accidental bum flesh than I ever desired to see. <laughs> and in every game store, should an unex like an like should an un in excuse me, inordinately attractive female walk in, you can hear the store freeze. Like just movement ceases and breaths people just hold in the oxygen as they figure out what this creature who just came in is about. Now that would all that said, all that said, and this is not. This is not just because 
this is a story that we love or anything. But so far, every time I've gone to Mythos, none of those things have happened. I have not had anyone smell inappropriate. I have not seen anything inappropriate. And I have not seen people behave inappropriately when someone attractive walks in. It yeah. is amazing. It's, it's a little bit of a Shangri-La. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I, you're right. You know, there's been many times I've been in a game store and it's like a scene from Cheers. You know, Norm walks in and everyone looks up at the door yep. when she walks in. Uh, well, actually, I guess that happened with everyone that walked in on that show. Because uh, everyone knows your name. Yeah, everyone knows your name. But that's that's exactly how it was. It's like, you know, a female individual walks in and it's like, you're right. The audible noise stops and everyone looks at the door like, like a unicorn just walked into the middle of the game store and they're like, is this real? I don't know if this is real. Is this is this a trick? You know, um, <laughs> and it's which so is true. weird, which is weird because I've had several female um, players in my groups before. Oh, sure. It's not like it's not like this rarity. Um, you know, I'm going to age myself a little bit, but, uh, you know, my oldest son is married and uh, him and his wife were here in the game store earlier and they bought dice. So it's like literally people play. I know tons of women that play this game. Um yeah. However, when it comes to bum flesh, the only bum flesh I should be seeing is my my kids, my younger kids. When you know they accidentally like bend over or something, or you know my three year old. You know when you're being a parent. Yeah, you know when my three year old decides that he you know he doesn't want to wear a pull up, but uh, you know it's those weird things that uh, that's when it's acceptable. <laughs> but I, at the same time, I know people struggle with that, so. We're going to move on because we've stayed <laughs> way on this topic way too long, and that is not the topic of our show. Would you say that we have fallen into a crack? We have. Ooh. We have fallen into a crack. A crevasse <laughs> of creativity. <laughs> a crevasse of creativity and wonder. Uh. And, and it is a hairy situation. Oh, Ooh. my gosh. <laughs> Way to go, Dan. Thanks for keeping it classy. On You're welcome. Tongue in cheek there. Oh, man. No, uh. no tongue in cheek. No tongue in cheek. <laughs> So moving on, though, is the thing. So this Gatorade is awesome, by the way. <laughs> Apparently, I'm just So the topic of today's show, what is it? Krebs, take it away. So, uh, you know, as you are clearly aware, we have been gamers the vast majority of our lives. And in that time, it it, it is common that you will find a game where it is you versus other players. And this happens all the time. It, it, it is the way the games have been structured for literally millennia. Yes. In recent history, there has been a rising trend of cooperative gaming. Games where it's not about beating the person on the other side of the table. It's about beating the table. Mm -hmm. And um, there are some profoundly amazing games. It, it's so interesting because for the first three and a half decades of my life, let's just say three decades of my life the first three decades of decades of my life all games were about an, an opponent or at least one opponent in fact it was a it was a valuable life lesson to learn how not to be a sore loser and how not to be a sore winner and that was great yeah and there's no such thing as a sore winner ever <laughs> <laughs> and and that was that was like 30 years of my life playing games that had been around for again millennia or something that was in you know recent history but but it but recently games have kind of all of a sudden there's been this untapped well someone one day said hey 
What if we weren't fighting each other? What if we were fighting the game? And a whole new array of games came to light. Zombicide, a betrayal at House on the Hill. Um, Shadows of Camelot. Pandemic. Yeah. Uh, there are myriad. In fact, actually, I I mentioned I was in Mythos last night. I yeah. picked up a game called One Deck Dungeon, and it is an it is an RPG dungeon crawl done with cards and dice, and it is for one or two players cooperatively. If you have two sets, you can do a four player game cooperatively. So yes. now we've got card games that are cooperative card games, yeah. and and so the the topic then becomes okay. We have millennia of competitive gaming, and competitive gaming is still around. In fact, esports is enormously on the rise, right? It's become a huge thing, and that's all competitive. But then we also have cooperative games, and the question then becomes, do you have a preference? Alton, Alton, you are literally a professional gamer. Yeah. Uh, where do your preferences lie? So that's really kind of a tricky thing for me. Um, uh there, in my mind, are distinct advantages to each, right? So cooperative games have the distinct advantage of pissing fewer people off at the end of the night. Uh, your games usually tend to stay nicer longer, uh, and you still have friends who want to come over next time. Um, that being said, uh, if there is an imbalance in the group, if there are multiple people who are trying to take the lead or one person who clearly knows all of the shenanigans of how the game works and everybody else doesn't, cooperative games can often fall out of balance. That, too, can also be said of competitive games, though. If you have one player at the table who is clearly outclassing everybody else, then it doesn't always turn out to be a good time. And because competitive players can sometimes play very competitively, it is often easy to withhold knowledge in an effort to uh, uh, fix your chances of getting just a little bit farther than everybody else. And, and that can also be uh, not so great. Where I find that I spend most of my time is actually in either hybridized or trader type games. Uh, you already mentioned Betrayal at House on the Hill. An excellent example of a game that starts out and it is cooperative. You're exploring a house, trying to get loot, trying to get powered up, ready to go. And then at some point, somebody becomes a traitor and the game changes. And sometimes it's the team versus the board. Sometimes it's the team versus the player who became the traitor. Um, but it helps to create situations where players who are playing intelligently and playing cooperatively can have some of the best of both worlds. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot more to it, but I still want to hear what everybody else has to say, Dan. I really think it comes down to who you're playing with. You know, um, when I'm playing with my family, I love playing with co-op games. But my family hates playing co-op games with me. Um, they hate playing any games with me because I play very strategically. You know, uh, I start seeing moves in advance and I start playing for those moves. You know, playing with my kids, they haven't learned that. So for them, that's kind of annoying. And it's like dad's cheating. When I'm really not, I mean, it's all luck of the cards, but it looks kind of, it can look that way just because I'm playing it a different way. Uh, you know, if a certain card I want gets snatched up, I start, you know, I start changing that strategy. Okay. I can't go that route. Let's, let's, let me change this up a little bit. Um, and with betrayal, you're right. It, it up until the, the point 
that the trader appears or the haunt happens, uh, it's pretty much just you're exploring. You're just going through this house, happy-go-lucky. But, you know, when I'm going through, I'm strategically looking and uh, you know, trying to build out the house in a way so that when that haunt happens, I still have some avenues for me. You know, the kids are just like, oh, it's just, I'm going here, I'm going here. But I'm, you know, like I said, I'm looking at a way to build it out. So if the trader comes into play, I have room to run. I have room to move, maneuver around and stay ahead of him. Or, you know, if it's one of those haunts where you have to find something, I'm hoping all those tiles are visible so that when that time comes, I can go there fast. Um, you know, with Shadows of Camelot, that's tons of fun. Uh, running around, you, you got to get through everything before sections of the, the board start closing off for me because once mm -hmm. they're gone, they're gone. And if what you need is in there, you're hosed. There, there's nothing you can do to win that game at that point. Um, but at the same time, you know, simple card games like uh, deck builders, those are lots of fun to play with individuals, and I enjoy those. But again, you, you got to kind of mix up your strategy with those. And every game is different. That's those are the games I like the most. Whether it's co uh, co op or not, those that have additional replay value. You know, Zombie Side has tons of replay value. Doesn't matter how many times you play it; it's not going to be the same game as the last time you played, even if you're playing with the same players. Correct. Which kind of harkens back to the the joy and love I have for RPGs. You know, you could play the same module with the same players, playing the same, you know class and race but it's still not going to be the same game that's right awesome so so just to kind of put the tldr on there do you have a preference co-op or competitive definitely co-op i mean i like the co-op more uh than the competitive and a lot of that has to do with you know growing up as a kid playing monopoly all the time <laughs> and um it, it you know my mom always won and it just got so boring to me because it was like, there's no story to this. It's we're running around in circles, collecting money, buying houses and just trying to amass this giant wealth. And, you know, finally, when someone has more wealth and they steal all your money because you can't pay literally because you landed on freaking boardwalk and they have a hotel there. It's like, it just sucks. I like something that has a story and something that's more flexible. Now, if we were, if it was... It was all co-op where we're we're trying to buy up all the land from, you know, Mr. Monopoly because he 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 owns all this and we're we're this new mogul company that's coming in mm -hmm. and buying up property. But we're a collective team that could make the game a little bit different and a little bit more fun, in my opinion. But Monopoly is not that. Yeah, that would see, be an interesting modification on the game. Uh, Elton, what was your comment? I'll finish mine later. What's yours? Well, it's it's mostly just I think that Dan has totally missed the point. You see a boot, an iron, a hat, and a dog all show up to a corner of a city block <laughs> and proceed to run around in circles until nobody wants to play anymore and the board crashes to the ground. You know, the boot is the symbol of the everyday man trying to crush his, his woes beneath him. The dog, well, the dog just urinates on everything that it passes. You know, I've known I, people like there's that. Sim, there's symbolism in everything. You have the top hat. He's just he's he's Scrooge McDuck. You know, on his quest to become Scrooge McDuck. The iron, I have no explanation why there's that's an the iron homemaker. The okay, the homemaker that's trying to succeed. They're just symbols. <laughs> um, 
But see, that's why I play Muppet Monopoly. Because, <laughs> because I have Animal, Kermit, Fozzie, Miss Piggy. Yeah. So back in the day, the, the, the set that I grew up playing with was the Star Wars Collector's Edition. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, so, nice. See, I, I, I never bought that because I did not want Star Wars to be ruined by Monopoly. Because Monopoly is just the bane. That, that's I just found a that game Mon- that is horrible. I found that Monopoly was elevated by Star Wars. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, but going back to what you said earlier, man, wouldn't that be a really cool mod on Monopoly to instead have a cooperative version yeah. where the reason it's called Monopoly is because uh, Mr. Uh, Warbucks there, whatever his name is, um, I forget, Mr. Moneybags, or I forget, he actually has Mr. a name. Moneybags, yeah. Mr. Moneybags, yeah. Mr. Moneybags. The reason it's called Monopoly is because he has one. He has a natural Monopoly, and it's our job to free the market. Um, which is a very capitalistic view. I get that. But wouldn't that be cool if the cooperative nature of the game was to topple Mr. Monopoly, not to have our own Monopoly, but rather to open up the market yeah. and bring him off of his high horse. That would be kind of a cool, that'd be a cool modification to the game. And now that we've um, talked about that, someone's going to come out with that, or maybe people that make Monopoly is listening and like, oh, wow, that's something we haven't thought about. Crap. You know, Dungeon Crawlers, if you would like bonus content, uh, maybe some small episodes of us designing games, you should send an email in to DungeonCrawlersRadio at gmail.com and let us know what we should design first. Dungeon Crawlers Radio. No, info at DungeonCrawlersRadio.com. Sorry, that one. No. Sorry. Brain's going backwards. Info at DungeonCrawlersRadio.com. We used to have a Gmail account back in the first year, but not anymore. (laughs) Wow. My brain is just jumping back. Don't Uh, mind me, guys. And we're back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that that's going to be the catchphrase of tonight's episode because we are all scatterbrained tonight. We're yes. <laughs> we we have all been living life in the quarantine in, in the in the pandemic, and we're all just doing our best, folks. But okay, so so you like co-op? Alton sort of rode the rail on this one, where it's like there there's purpose to both, and I agree that there is purpose to both. In fact. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but I used to be a tournament billiard player. I used to play nine ball uh, in tournaments. I used to play eight ball in tournaments. And um, while I was never truly great per se, I held my own. I did okay. And that's a very competitive sport. It's a very strategic sport. It's a very cerebral sport. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I'm i with you, Dan. I actually have found, especially as I get older, that I, I much rather I, – I love – co-op compared to competitive i don't there are certain things i'm okay with being competitive in i love playing softball i love shooting pool um if i go to the gun range with a buddy we might have a competition to see who can zero in tighter and things like that whatever those are fine and those are sort of like natural competitive moments that that, they don't have to get toxic they don't have to get destructive um but when it comes to a game when i sit down and i'm like hey we're a family we love each other right what can we do about that Let's play a game that ruins our feelings toward each other. I don't want that. And while you can, I believe you can be competitive without being toxic. I think that competition naturally leads, since you're looking for the demise of the people around you, you can be nice about it, but you still broke them in some way, right? Like just, just at least in terms of the game, you broke their strategy, you broke their plans, you broke their advantage. Um, but cooperative, you mentioned Zombicide, which, of course, fans of the show will know I'm a huge fan of Zombicide. Love Zombicide. And the reason I love it is because it's as clo- it's one of the games where you can get as close as you can to an actual RPG while still being a board game. It's scenario-driven. 
It is a modular board. You can come up with your own stories. You can be as detailed or as bland as you wish. And you have all these miniature figures playing out on the board. And it's all about the players trying to best the game. And that's the way it is every time. And it is such a high when you as a team pull it off, when you get the right dice rolls, when you make the right strategic decisions, when you work together, you're giving weapons to each other, you're sacrificing your advantage so that the team can have an advantage. It is such a high. And it is such an emotional low when the game beats you. And then immediately as a team, you're like, we got to do this again. We got to do this again. We got to beat this. Now, you brought up something important that I would also bring up as a counterpoint to your very argument, sir. Thank you. Because... To represent all of the competitive players out there, and this is one of the reasons why I have to ride the fence, there are actually two different styles of competitive game. The one that you specifically brought up are those games which, in which you are specifically creating disadvantage for your opponent in order to win the game, right? In which mm-hmm. you are, uh, you know, we'll call them interaction-heavy games, where mm-hmm. it isn't simply about pulling ahead, it's about beating down. Right. And I, and I definitely can see where you're coming from on the point that many of those types of games can create feelings of ill will or nastiness. However, there are also competitive games that are just you versus the board. And it's not necessarily what you're doing to interact with other people, only in how well you are doing against yourself. An excellent example of this is Quacks of Quedlinburg, which is one of my favorite games right now. Uh, introduced to me by Jeff Beck of Grandpa Beck's Games, funnily enough. Um, and uh, it's a it's a tile-pulling game. You have no real interaction with your opponents uh, other than psychological banter and things like that, but it's all in good fun. There's nothing that you are explicitly doing that is messing up your opponents in any way. And it tends to be a very fun game uh, because of that. Because even though there's a lot of good competition and rivalry between people, you aren't actively messing each other up in any meaningful way. Makes Um, sense. And so I I would put that forth as a uh, counter-argument for all of those people out there who are silently fuming, plotting our demise, uh, (laughs) that uh, there there is a lot of value to those types of games in which um, it is not necessarily player versus player, but it is still very competitive. Well, I mean, That's... as far as the competitive gaming, it really goes down to the player. I mean, people that play Magic, they mm-hmm. love that competitiveness. You know, when you sit down at a table and some, you, some you're right. Uh, that's what you know. You sit down at the table <laughs> and you're you're playing against someone. The ultimate goal is to defeat your opponent. Um, so there are people that thrive and enjoy on that, uh, just like the the co-op. There are people that thrive and enjoy that. I think the reason we have a you know, we have all these uh, co-op games that have come. Is you know, we have people that grew up with those games. You know, like Monopoly and Life, and you know, uh, I, I I can't even think of any others at the moment. But that was what we had. And then the only other option for cope, you know, to to co-op play with anyone was role-playing games. You know, and so they've grown up and they're like, okay, let's take this aspect, this co-opness that we have from from role-playing games, and let's make that into a current game system. And, you know, I could be wrong, but that's where I feel like it kind of came from, you know, because no one likes a sore loser, no one wants to be the sore loser, and no one wants to be the loser, period. But when we're working together, we can either lose as a team or win as a team, and it seems a little bit, it takes away the edge from losing. 
you know, because we did our best. We worked as a team together, and, you know, even if we failed, we did it together, and, you know, and we can, we can be proud of that. Uh, but when you have one winner at the table and everyone else has failed and that guy is just like, I won, you know, it, it kind of, it sucks. <laughs> I, you know, kind I, of I know put- it did for me as a kid. I, I, I hate Monopoly. I really don't like Monopoly. And it's because of that. You know, everyone lost. Mom always won. Doesn't matter what we did. Doesn't matter how we did it. Mom <laughs> always won. And I just, I hated the game. It was never fun. Now, maybe she hadn't played as much as, you know, the way she did, and we got to win a little bit, my feelings would be different towards the game. But that's kind of, that's what what really sunk in with those games. So I try, especially with my kids, they're like, dad always wins. And I'm like, well, I kind of let them win now and then. I don't really push hard all the time because I don't want to be the same. Um, You know, if I could... If I could touch on that for just a second, it's um, I want to make something clear too. I I realize that Dan, you and I, we come from about a full generation behind Elton, um, or ahead of. I guess we say ahead. We're we're ahead. a generation older. We're a generation older than Elton, um, and which Don't means worry, that we're. Guys, I still came out ahead. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Touche. Which means that we're we're one or two generations ahead of some of our listeners. Yeah. And. Um, you know, I that said, I, I'm saying this because I have the perspective of I think it's an important thing. If you're going to be a gamer, if you're going to be a functional, healthy gamer, then one of the things you have to learn is the value of losing. Uh, I believe I'm I'm a college instructor. I teach computer science and and um, very at the very start of my teaching career, I I remember I was struggling with a, a class I was about to teach and I went into the provost and one of the first things out of my mouth to him was, I believe in the transformative power of failure. Now that sounds malicious or it sounds like that's the result I want. It's not. Instead, it's the idea that just because you failed or you fell down in an attempt on something or in this case, if you lose a game, it doesn't mean that you suck or that you're terrible. It means there's learning to be done. And I think learning how to take a loss and convert that into a future advantage, I think that's a, that, that is an incredibly powerful life skill. And so I think that there's value in losing. So I also think that there's value in competition. I'm also of the mind that if a trophy exists, it should not simply be granted. It must be earned. So I'm definitely in that camp of I don't think it's constructive to give every child a trophy. I think that's actually very destructive. And I don't mean to get too political, but that's just my personal viewpoint. I'm not looking for a debate. I'm just expressing my view. Um, I think that if there is something to be earned, it has value after you've earned it. If you don't earn it, it doesn't have value. So competitive games have value. They give you an opportunity to lose and to learn, and they give you an, uh, an opportunity to earn achievement, not simply be granted. Uh, in a cooperative scenario, you get to share that with a group of people. So the value there for me is that you build camaraderie. You build, um, you have a bonding experience with people that matter to you, or you end up creating new relationships that matter to you through cooperative gaming. And it becomes, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, or actually we have a common enemy. Let's bind, you know, let, let's um, let's bond together. Uh, so there's value in both. There is value in both. I have more enjoyment from cooperative games than I do from competitive, but... Uh, but funny story, funny story. I know somebody who's exactly the opposite. I, I once had a neighbor, super swell guy, really great human being. 
but we invited him when, when we first discovered Zombicide. We invited him over to play with us, and he goes, uh, "Is that who's the winner?" And I was like, well, we either all win or lose together. And he goes, no, I can't play that. I said, why not? And he goes, because I can't enjoy a game unless I can absolutely defeat everybody at the table. I have to be able to trounce you at the table. And if I can't do that, then it's not a fun game. And I was like, oh, well, then that's not this game. Mm-hmm. I, he might he might have enjoyed Betrayal at House on the Hill a little bit more, uh, only if he got to be the haunt every time. But uh, yeah, I, I find value in competitive gaming. And I find value in cooperative gaming. And while they are sort of parallel values, they're they're obviously distinct. Yeah, well, I mean, in Mag- it's funny because you brought up Magic the Gathering, or, or Dan brought up Magic the Gathering. Yeah, Dan earlier. did. And um, uh, about a decade and a half ago now, they identified a number of player archetypes that they've slowly been refining and expanding. But the primary three are Johnny, Timmy, and Spike, right? Uh, Johnny combo player, Timmy power gamer, uh, and Spike is spike um and uh it's the it's most people have combinations of of those three archetypes as well as a couple of other more nuanced additives to them um but it is the 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 archetypes they were trying to dial in are those psychologies that help people to enjoy the games that they are playing right and they realized uh fortunately early on in magic's design that they needed to design different cards for different types of players to make sure that the game was enjoyable for everybody um and this is why uh, magic has huge longevity as a game and huge appeal to many people is because it's actually a collection of many different styles of play with a single codified language that everybody understands and uses to play together Mm -hmm. um but uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, cooperative games can sometimes, not always, but sometimes cause problems for me. Great example of this is Pandemic, one of my favorite games of all time. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've traditionally been very, very good at that style of resource management um, and risk mitigation. And so usually by the end of the game, it turns into everybody at the table turning to me, or if I'm feeling particularly passionate, I'll admit sometimes I end up talking over other people too, to uh, (laughs) give advice as to what everybody should be doing. Um, And uh, while that can be very fun for me, it can also be off-putting for people who are um, trying to engage more collaboratively. Um, And so... I don't, even though we are putting the terms cooperative versus collaborative as the two primary camps, I think that there may be, uh, or excuse me, yeah, cooperative versus competitive um, (laughs) as the two primary camps, I think that there may be more mechanical leanings and tendencies uh, that are driving our actual enjoyment of those games above all else. Um, Cooperative games that are puzzle solving like that. where only one player is in on the solution or one player is particularly adroit at figuring out the solution um, can cause even as many problems as cooperative games. That is true. They're co- uh, competitive games, excuse me. And, and and while, you know, you bring up a good point. While we are speaking in terms of generalities, we're speaking about the competitive camp versus the cooperative camp. In truth, mm-hmm. both of those sort of exist on a gamut. They exist on a range. There, There is a ton of nuance. For example, like you brought up that there are competitive games where you're supposed to 
directly defeat the opponent versus simply get ahead of your opponent. Um, there are cooperative games that are purely cooperative or cooperative games like Lord of the Rings uh, deck building games. There, there are three, one for Fellowship, one for Two Towers, one for Return of the King. And, and in those, you and the other players are trying to defeat all the arch enemies but at the end of the game, you tally up your individual victory points, and the one who has the most comes out winner. So it's a cooperative experience, but there's still a declared winner. There's still a single winner at the end. And then you have Betrayal House on the Hill, where you have it's purely cooperative the entire time until the end when the haunt activates. And based on a certain algorithm, a player is selected to be the, the boss monster, essentially. Uh, and yeah. now, so you have an asymmetric... A cooperative competitive hybrid, which kind of it, it it leans I because of the length of the game, it, it leans more toward the cooperative side in general, I think, but it has a strong competitive component at the end, an asymmetric competitive component. So it's it's not so simple as just this game's competitive, this game's cooperative. There are nuances and and subtle differences, as well as like a range of cooperative versus competitive, but um we're talking more in terms of generalities, right? Like we're trying to hit like if you if you had if someone put two games in front of you wrapped in brown paper so you couldn't see the titles or the descriptions and they said this one is primarily competitive, this one's primarily cooperative, which one would you pick? And that's really what we're trying to get at here. And some people yeah. wouldn't be able. They'd have to flip a coin because they like both with equal love or they hate both with equal hate. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. Um, I mean, an ex another excellent example, right? We uh talk about uh cooperative games um where we're trying to optimize right uh deck building games got brought up and deck building games traditionally are played very very competitively um but one of my favorite deck building games of all time is actually uh aeon's uh, uh aeon's end mm -hmm. shoot my brain just kind of fritzed i think it's <laughs> aeon's end uh, which is a, a cooperative deck building game where each player is managing their own deck, but you're fighting against a common scenario and bosses and monsters and things like that. And so um, I think that that is where some games like Pandemic is a good example may fail because there is always a very easily optimized path and too much simplification and specialization for individuals. Um, and that may, for for some groups with the right uh, chemistry and the right player combination, that's probably not a problem at all. Pandemic is an amazing, amazing game. It is. Um, uh, but games like Aeon's End, for example, do give each individual player a lot more to chew on and forces them to be much more collaborative. Another great example, um, uh, and this isn't a board game per se, though I do have one that I recommend that's very similar. Um, here in Utah, we have the Crystal McAuliffe uh, Space Education Center. Yes. Oh, that's a favorite place of mine. Yeah. And I, I grew up going there. I've logged over 150 hours. Um, oh, wow. And uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world. And and for those of you who haven't heard of this, uh, it's a gigantic Star Trek simulator, right? There are multiple ships. Um, usually you're going on solo missions that last about two and a half hours, including 45 minutes of training time or so. So you get about two hours of actual uh, simulation. Um, but you're working collaboratively as a crew to solve problems. But the thing that makes them so compelling to me is that they are 
uh, it is a simulator game. Everybody has a post that is theirs to take care of. You have your engineer, you have your tactical officer, uh, etc. And, and, and everybody has enough that they are constantly doing the whole time in order to keep everything running well. Uh, recently, there's a game um, that uh, uh, my father-in-law picked up um, that is a U-boat simulator game um, that I'm looking forward to playing very soon uh, that is very, very similar. Each person has a lot that they are doing to maintain the ship and make sure that the mission is moving forward. And having that kind of meat on the bone is very important if you want to help your competitive players turn collaborative. Um, uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that meat on the bone has to be complex and gritty and difficult to understand because that can be one of the things that you know can scare away a lot of cooperative players um, if a game is so complex and so difficult that they feel like they're entirely on their own um, but well-designed simulation games like that can tend to uh, strike a very good balance in my opinion to allow collaborative players to be collaborative to allow competitive players to have enough puzzle to solve that it ends up being a very fulfilling thing. Are there any other games uh, that you have found that tend to be a good kind of meet in the middle, get your collaborative and your cooperative, <laughs> I keep saying that, your cooperative and your competitive players uh, to the table? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think of some, uh, uh, admittedly, I have limited experience compared to you, uh, but you know, one thing that comes to mind, I'm trying to remember, you'll know the title of this game. There's this game where uh, you have to work together to build a rocket ship to escape uh, an exploding planet. And it requires that you complete an electrical circuit, like a physical circuit on the board using magnetic pieces uh, that conduct actual electricity and when you finally do hit the connection points the rocket will light up and or make certain sounds certain key sounds to let you know that you've done it right or that you've done it wrong um mm. and then the rocket lights up and then you win the game uh now that one is highly cooperative but i'm and i'm trying to remember i've only played it once but i'm trying to remember if there was a, a competitive element to that and i'm not entirely certain um yeah. Having sort of that hybrid game feels like a rarity to me. Uh, the I already mentioned the the Lord of the Rings deck building games because that is cooperative until the end when you score up and then it's co and then it's competitive, but it really only has uh, because of that. It, even though it's cooperative to beat all the arch enemies, the whole time you're playing, you are thinking, how can I get the most victory points? How I know that that yeah. person already picked up Arwen, and we I know that if they get Arwen and they get uh, Aragon and they get um, the crown, if they can play all three of those in the same turn, they automatically win the entire game. I know that to be true. So if they've got Arwen and Aragorn, I want to make sure that I buy the crown. So, you know, things like that, right? Like, so even though it's cooperative, you're kind of thinking competitively all along the way. Um, so yeah, I, um, I'm not sure I have a good example outside of uh, Betrayal uh, at House on the Hill that I find to be truly a hybrid experience. Dan, do you have anything? I'm just thinking a bunch of co-op games like you know, Imperial Assault, which is one I love, uh, Shadows of Brimstone. Um, I mean, Betrayal House on the Hill, Betrayal Legacy. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, the thing that I comes... can think of tons of either co-op or competitive. It's very hard uh, to find a hybrid, but Alton, you probably know some hybrids. You probably do. Well, so the other one that I find is very, very good, um, again, that is not necessarily hy- hybrid per se, but that helps to bring those two parties together, right, are escape room games. Um, uh, escape rooms, uh, well-designed escape rooms, are usually pitting either teams against each other or teams against the clock. There are usually multiple puzzles that are needing to be solved at the same time, and they're exercising different parts of the brain. So even if you have one person who is particularly good at one type of critical thinking, um, there are usually other puzzles that other more abstract thinkers, for example, uh, or physical space may come into play that some people are much better at dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been something that has been a great boon to me and, and my friend groups over the last number of years are being able to play those types of games because there are certain puzzles that I am very, very good at. And then there are others that I just sit there and right. And, uh, and so I, I always recommend those for families that, you know, talk to me and say, Hey, you know, we love playing games, but we have the one kid who doesn't really play well with others. Right. Um, now you do have to have kind of some degrees of cerebralness to be able to handle most of the escape room board games that are going home right now. Um, there are, uh, there, there, there tends to be a bias towards particular trains of thought and groups who are optimized for that will solve them with no problem whatsoever. Um, but uh, another great example of a game that I particularly love for this type of a thing uh, time stories. Oh my gosh. Time stories. Yeah. Uh, plays similarly to escape rooms. The idea that, you know, you're trying to solve problems and, and move through. Uh, but it has a lot of story based elements and everybody gets their turn to be able to try to contribute and try to decide different things. And you're playing against the board. You're not playing against the other players. Um, but, uh, for, more competitive players who are trying to be the person who cracks the nut, solves the puzzle, stays ahead of the thing. It helps because it allows everybody to contribute to discovering what's going on. And then that person tends to be able to take the lead in keeping track of all of those various threads and how they interact. Um, uh, Another great example is, um, oh, shoot. I can picture it in my head. Well, you know, Ever- you and I, we just we just recently played together a uh, Mysterium. And Mysterium yeah, or, uh, is a bit of a hybrid. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Obscurio. You're right. Yeah. It was Obscurio. Um and that has a hybrid quality to it. Yeah. So Obscurio, another great game for people who have played Dixit or Mysterium. It's from the same company, but it is the big brother of those games. And uh, in my opinion, has been the best iteration of that style of game so far. Um, One player takes the role of the Grimoire, a magical book, who is trying to help all of these wizards out of a library in which they are trapped. But one of the wizards is secretly a traitor in disguise. And the way that the game is set up, it allows players to work collaboratively in the first step to try to decipher what the clues could mean. But because they're all working together, the trader then gets to play against those clues in the next step to try to trip everybody up. Um, 
very, very fun game, beautiful art, very easy to play with people of all ages because it has that abstract art feel to it that doesn't require a lot of reading or math or anything. Um, it's all about that cooperative working together and convincing each other. Yeah, now that I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, Shadows of Camelot is definitely uh, along those same lines because you do have that trader. So it is a little bit competitive because he, you know, the trader is trying to thwart your advancement. So um, even though at the same time they're trying to co-op with you, and so you don't suspect them as being the trader. So that is definitely a component in that game, and that is that is a fun component of that game too. Um, whether you are the trader or you're not, you know, it's like, is there someone again working against us? If so, do we, how do we find them and, and so forth? But it's hard to, you, cause you call someone out and it's not the trader, then you feel like crap. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Um, it occurs to me now that we've talked like this, that any game that's like secret Hitler or werewolf, where you have a hidden adversary or you have, you, you have two or more factions secretly distributed among the group. Um, you you do have uh, it, it leans more competitive than cooperative, but there's sort of like this blind cooperative that uh, that exists. Yeah. Um, the game Bang comes to mind yeah. where you have a sheriff and deputies, and then you also have uh, outlaws and the renegade, and so you have three different factions uh, that are all trying to win in the end, but they're also trying to figure out with whom they're supposed to cooperate because it's all blind. So there's this blind cooperation. Sometimes you cooperate with the wrong person. Uh, sometimes you cooperate with the right person. So yeah. <laughs> those games, I think we could look at as being sort of a hybrid experience. Let me, uh, I've got two, I've got two major questions I want to ask you guys. It's going to take a little bit of time to answer these. So allow me to just kind of push this forward a little bit. Uh, you know, in times past, we have talked about the rules lawyer. We've talked about the fitting nonsense. We've talked about murder hobos and newbies and all that stuff, right? Specifically referring to rules lawyers and fitting nonsense players. Is there a camp between competitive and cooperative where they fit best meaning those two archetypes those two archetypes does the rules lawyer fit better in a competitive scenario or cooperative scenario or is it sort of balanced um i believe that that is relative to the complexity of the game um because there can be situations in which a rules lawyer will leverage their knowledge of rules and or more really the uh, misknowledge, the lack of knowledge or the lack of nuance of their competitors understanding of the rules um, to generate advantage of their own. Um, this is a situation that we see often, especially in competitive card games where you're dealing with a card pool of thousands or tens of thousands uh, with very complex interactions and um, at competitive play, there are actually tournament rules that are set up specifically to discourage players from just blindly calling out nonsense on each other um, <laughs> off of Obscura, right? Um, uh, uh, recently, you know, within the last year um, in the Magic World, there was actually a series of updates to tournament play that caused some upset in the community because um, there is a lot there there's there's this concept of uh, intent and known knowledge and 
what are the things that I did purposefully? What are the things that I was trying to find out? What is an indicator of me saying, yes, please continue your action or continue your turn versus I understand what you're saying, right? The, the little pieces of nuance of the way that we communicate and the roles historically had been very biased towards um, the player who was in control of the effect. Um, and there was an update to those tournament rules uh, that the casual player would never, ever interact with. Like a casual player sitting at a table playing a game of magic is never going to go, oh, you said yes, which means that we're actually moving on now. Right. Um, uh, but that was happening at competitive play where players would indicate that, yes, I understand what you're saying. And then the player would move on to the next step. And as the way that the tournament rules were set up, you know, it created a lot of problems. Um, that being said, uh, we also know every child ever who has had a competitive side of them who sits down to play the game with you. And as you are pulling out the win says, oh, no, actually, that's not how the game ends. <laughs> right, and mix up their own little sub-rule or something like that. So um, true. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that part of it, it has to do with the complexity of the rules, but it also has to do with the motivation of the player to win. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, and maybe this is the thesis of the episode, right, is have good etiquette, but... Um, a, a player who is willing to win at any cost will utilize whatever psychological, technical uh, advantage, any kind of advantage that they can leverage to win the game because they are going to win at any cost. And at the end of the day, you are then changing the fundamental premise of what that game is because it's no longer a game to the other player. Your game is now not trying to win within the confines of the rules necessarily. It is about beating the other player, regardless so then, of what the game is. So then what uh, What about the fitting? So that, that takes us sort of to the other side of the gamut then, which is the fitting nonsense player, the one that is sort of the disruptor, right? The one that is uh, the one who's trying to do insane things that bend or break rules all the time. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny, I... I think I think in my marriage, I am the rules lawyer and my wife, my wife is a good player, but she's a bit of fitting nonsense sometimes. I, it becomes almost humorous though. Um, but does a fitting nonsense type player, does that archetype, does it have a place more so in cooperative than competitive or vice versa? I don't know. Uh, that's a really complicated thing. Um, so, uh, you know, having owned two game stores now, going back to Magic, again, a very universal thing for me. Absolutely. Um, it became clear early on in my first game store that I was not allowed to win at tournaments anymore. <laughs> because if I did, players who were highly competitive would become very incensed because they would assume that I was somehow leveraging advantages completely imagined mind you but advantages nonetheless and even though i've never been a super crazy competitive magic player i'm competent i'm good at my fundamentals right mm -hmm. um and so i found very quickly that the enjoyment of the game for me needed to change 
And so I now favor building decks that are doing off the wall things that are just trying to create weird, crazy combinations of cards or force my opponents to make choices. And for some players that is also really not liked. Um, uh, I have a deck that I keep put together specifically for casual play where the deck itself does not have a natural win condition built into it. Um, it takes advantage of as many chaos cards as exist in the game as possible, specifically <laughs> to be able to turn my opponent's decks against each other and then against themselves, right? right. Um, the deck itself is a do-nothing deck, but the harder that my opponents struggle, the more that it hurts them. Um, but that, that almost seems like a chaotic rules lawyer. Uh it, it is and it isn't, right? Um, chaos is not necessarily ignorance of the rules. Right. The, the question is, am I enforcing technicalities of the rules as a rules lawyer? Mm. Or am I taking advantage of the breadth and depth of the rules that exist to be able to do things that would exist outside of the normal accepted bounds of play? Nothing that a fifty nonsense that a fifty nonsense player does is necessarily outside of the rules. It's just they aren't playing the game as commonly accepted or as intended in quotes, right? Right, right. Um, and uh, and and again, if if anybody who's out there hasn't gone back and listened to our episode on this, you should go back and do it. But this is part of the value of both of those players is that when those powers are used for good, it can actually help players to understand the breadth and depth of the rules much, much better to be right. able to see ways to do the things that they want to do inside the rules as they exist. And even sometimes to break off the little calcifications, the, the hardness that's built up around our hearts and minds over the years of <laughs> how a game has to be played, right? Um, uh, but it very much so comes down to intent and it comes down to the way that you're trying to interact with other players at the table. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's let's move on to sort of like the final question because we are swiftly running out of time. Uh, especially from you, Alton, I think this is going to be a great question, but can you suggest just one or two competitive games that people may not have played but really should? And similarly, can you suggest one or two cooperative games that maybe a lot of people have not played but really should? Yeah, absolutely. Um so uh, a game that is competitive uh, and extremely popular, and yet I keep finding a lot of people who haven't played it, is Twilight Imperium. I really honestly love that game. I would recommend it to anybody who wants to really test their wits against the people around them and against the table itself. I really um, need to play that game. I've never played that game. Please come over. Uh, we will set it up. Uh, there's actually a new expansion that's going to be coming out at the end of the year with a whole bunch of new races that have never been seen before, um, as well as an expansion that lets you play with up to eight players instead of the normal six. So get excited for that. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, um, Twilight Imperium is designed specifically to be a deep game similar to Civilization, which is another one that people really love. Um in that there are many paths to victory and that you cannot focus on only one path if you want to win. 
because you have to be political with other players at the table. You have to be conscious of trade in order to be able to maximize your resources. You have to be conscious of military might in order to make sure that you aren't overrun, but that also you're able to expand your empire in a meaningful way quickly enough to be able to keep up with the rest of the game. Um, and uh, just a, a beautiful competitive game. The fourth edition uh, version of the game is designed to be played in about four hours. There are ways to speed it up, and you can definitely take longer than that if all you know <laughs> if all the players at the table are really on it, know their stuff, able to be hyper competitive. Um, it can go faster or slower, uh, but they took out a lot of the bad exploits of previous versions. Um, the fourth edition of the game is very very well polished, and I highly recommend it. Um, another competitive game that. Uh, uh, oh man, there's a lot of options here. Oh, okay, yes. Uh, there's a competitive party game that I am going nuts over right now. It is called We're Doomed. Uh, Krebs, did you and your wife play that with us? Uh, no, we have not. Okay, so we're going to have to play it the next time you come over. But uh, it's a party game that uh, each of you takes the role of the leader of a government of Earth. Uh, and you've all just found out that there's a cataclysmic event coming to end the world. Um, and you realize that if you all cooperate, there is probably enough time to be able to build a ship and get off the planet, but there won't be enough time to build seats for everybody. So it's also important that you are one of the people who gets those seats. Um, uh, there are five different types of governments and everybody has access to the same five basic actions. Um, but each type of government has an advantage on one of those actions. Uh, it can be things like producing resources, which is what you contribute to build the rocket, um, garnering, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember the word, um, but essentially uh, garnering uh, respect influence. There we go, that's the word I was looking for, um, which determines who, uh, whoever has the most influence at the end of the game gets the first ship, on, first spot on the ship, then the second person, then the third person, etc. So both of those have to be managed well. Um, you have people who can invade other countries, spending influence to gain resources, people um, who can spend resources to propagandize other countries to gain their influence, uh, and then the fifth type of government is the autocracy who can nuke people for cheap. Um, <laughs> actually removing them from the game. Uh, it, is a, it is a game with a 15-minute sand timer, so every round is played in about 15 minutes. Um, and uh, it's one action per person per round. Um, and then at the end of the round, you get to draw an event card that can change victory conditions, it can shuffle everybody's seats around, it can do all kinds of craziness. Um, and so it's a very good game if you have people who are able to be competitive but still friends once the game gets put away. Uh, I would nice. not recommend playing this with Ragers, but uh, <laughs> it's it's a game that uh, even a lot of my cooperative loving friends uh, still have a good time with because you do have to cooperate with everybody to build the ship. But then if you're being smart about how you're managing your relationships and resources, you can also make sure to eliminate everybody else too. Nice. Um, so great, great games awesome. there. Um, uh, what about just like, do, do you have like one really good cooperative title that you like? Yeah, let's see. Um, cooperative titles. Um, uh, 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 pandemic 
is uh, tried and true, and the legacy version of the game is great. It's designed to be played as a campaign where you're physically sticking stickers onto the board and ripping up cards and adding new cards to the deck. Um, <laughs> a, a great time to be able to work together to figure things out. You do have to be careful that you don't have any one player who is too domineering over other people in the group to make sure that it does end up being a collaborative game, uh, but very, very enjoyable. Um, the other big one, as always, I have a whole bevy of role-playing games that Heck I would yes. always, always recommend. And um, most local game stores have free RPG nights that are designed specifically to introduce players to the game. So, you know, call into your local game store. Um, they should be practicing good health and safety guidelines. And if they That's aren't, true. then, well, move to Utah and come visit me instead. Heck but, yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, a, a great, great place to be able to not only learn to work collaboratively, but really cooperate to build cool stories and cool situations. Um, both great there. And then, um, the other one that's been a lot of fun, uh, is, uh, the, uh, Lord of the Rings game from Fantasy Flight, uh, oh, yeah. Journeys in Middle-Earth. Um, Journeys in Middle Earth, which I only just recently discovered. Game. I haven't played it yet, but I, I, I've just seen it for the first time. And oh my gosh, I want to drop all the money on that game. It is a gorgeous game. Um, another one that can be played either as individual scenarios uh, or as a campaign, and it really is designed to be played as a campaign. But it is a collaborative um, exploration dungeon crawl type game. Uh, in which you are trying to solve problems and defeat the big bad guy on each level, um, but requires good management of each of you individually as a hero um, with special abilities and skills and things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, hey, Dan, uh, we're yes. swiftly running out of time. Where yes. I'm looking for suggestions for, do you, do you have like one or two competitive game titles that maybe not a lot of people have played but should have? Competitive game titles. That, I mean, that's just really one or tough. two. I mean, there's ones I really like. Yeah, uh, tell us. I love the DC deck building game. You know, mm. again, I'm a huge DC fan, but it's fun. It's not the same gameplay every time. You know, whatever cards come out on the table, whatever the luck of the draw is. So that's always fun for me. Uh, it is still competitive, um, but it's because, and I said this millions of times before. It's because every time I sit down and play the game, it's never the same. That's why it's fun for me. Yeah. Uh, and yes, you're competing against every other player on the table. You know, who can get to that card first? You know, who has enough points to get that card? You know, that, that seven-point card that's really going to uh, cause some damage. So that one's fun for me, um, and that's one I think people should check out. Um, another really fun competitive game. Yeah, I have a... I have a, it's it's a really off the wall one, um, but it's called Cash and Guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, everyone at the table is against everyone. You literally have a foam gun. You're pointing it at other com uh, opponents. It's uh, it's silly. It's a silly fun game, but you literally are sitting at the table and it's everyone against everyone. You know who 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 has and it's a game of chicken. Really, you're really playing chicken. And if you can survive that round, you can collect loot. If you can, you know, without getting shot, um, because you can bow out and not get shot. But it, it it has that chicken factor, 
but at the same time, it, it is competitive. It's fun. It's goofy. You're a bunch of gangsters. I love the foam guns. You know, I love saying uh, bonsai. Uh, it, it's it's lots of fun. What about not yippee kaye? Two collaborative games. My favorite collaborative games are Shadows of Brimstone, because it's cowboys versus demons. Um, unless you go to a different world, then it's cowboys versus aliens. Nice. Uh, Nice. Uh, or they have a or they have a samurai version right now where you know your, your samurai it's feudal japan against demons uh which is pretty awesome um the big bad boss is a uh, is is a an asian dragon which i'm really tempted to buy but i'm holding off uh oh. <laughs> so that one's a really fun one as far as collaborative and of course you know the we, we've mentioned it so many times um, Betrayal House on the Hill. Yeah. It's a fun, collaborative one. Again, it has replay value. It's never the same. Same with Shadows of Brimstone. Uh, you have map tiles you're flipping over, but the map tiles are based on the cards you're flipping over. So yeah. the, the design is always different. Than, I mean, we played one game where the, the cave wasn't even that big. It was only a total of six tiles. But we nearly died because of the monsters uh-huh. that kept showing up. Um, you know, and then there's other times where we've just dug in and we're like 17 tiles in and we fought hardly anything. Uh, so it is interesting, and it's fun when it comes up that way. Nice. But I would say a close second to that one would be uh, Shadows Over Camelot. Shadows Over Camelot? Is it Shadows Over Shadows Camelot? Shadows Over Camelot. Yeah, Shadows Over Camelot, yeah. Nice. Okay, Karebs, your top collaborative and your top uh, competitive. You know, for competitive games, uh, there are two that come to mind. Uh, one kind of big, one kind of small. Uh, there's a game that I came across completely on a fluke called Spoils of War. And it is a Viking-themed game that involves liar's dice, as in what you see in Pirates of the Caribbean. So every player has a cup of dice. They roll their dice and keep their dice roll secret. They get to look at those dice, but they don't want to share it. And then uh, everyone goes around the table making bids of how many of uh, a given number they think that the table has collectively. And you keep going and keep going until someone challenges. Because if the last bid made is not a fact, then that person loses and the one who challenges wins. Uh, But in addition to the normal liar's dice mechanics, you also have loot. And the loot, uh, whoever wins the round, they get to choose the most loot and they get to choose first. And by getting that loot, you sometimes get cards that give you special abilities and change the, the rules of the game for you. But you usually just get items and artifacts that in combination make up your score. It is a super fun game. It is not hard to learn, but it has tons of strategy. And it it's uh, it's one of those non-toxic competitive games. You can be competitive without tearing down other people. It's more about getting ahead than it is about defeating someone else. And the other game that I got recently uh, from your store, Elton, was Fuji Flush. A, a very, very simple card game. But uh, it's so simple that my wife and I can play with our nine and six-year-old. Uh, but it is... So much fun and such a simple game with tons of strategy. Uh, That is a great competitive game, super inexpensive uh, and able to be learned very quickly can be played. It's supposed to be played with three or more people. I think it's between three and eight. 
but um, my kids have liked it so much that I tend to do two-player games with them, and that goes really fast, but you can have fun with a two-player game there. So that's for competitive. For cooperative, um, I think Zombicide is too easy an answer, so you guys already know that that's like my number one pick, so I'm just going to put that off to the side. For Wait, cooperative, you like Zombicide? I, I, have, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's this game called Zombicide. Uh, <laughs> that's another three hours later <laughs> i know right we don't um, have time Krebs. we don't have time <laughs> uh, um but there's also this uh harry potter deck building game if i'm not oh, mistaken yeah. it's nope. uh, harry potter and uh, uh Hog hogwarts battles i believe it is yeah. um not battle for hogwarts but hogwarts battles and it it comes in a, in a fairly sizable box although you will pay a reasonable price for it not exorbitant not cheap and when you open it up, it has the entire story of Harry Potter spread across uh, seven book-like boxes. And you play the game. It's a deck-building game uh, in stages going box by box. So every game you play is the next box in the series. And with every box, you end up with newer cards. You end up with newer rules. You end up with more advanced characters and so on and so forth. My wife and I love that game. And we'll we'll just sit down and be like, uh, where do you want to start? You want to start on book four? You want to start on book two, book five? Where do you want to be? And we'll we'll play one or two books a night and then we'll save the rest for another time. That is a great cooperative game. And that is one where it is truly cooperative. There is no scoring at the end. You either beat the bad guys and you win as a group or they beat you and you lose. Nice. Um, and then uh, I've already mentioned Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King. They have all three movies as card games and each one plays differently and so collectively i well I'm, i mean those are all deck building so that feels almost like too much of the same flavor uh i'm going to back up a step then and say uh descent descent mm -hmm. if i i think that's the name of the game uh it is it is another zombicide like game in the sense that you have scenarios you have modular tiles you have miniatures that you're playing with however this one has a smart device companion app that run basically runs the scenario for you and tells you when to introduce enemies and where and what loot drops and things like that uh my friend from california was visiting and he brought it with him and we played it and it was a phenomenal experience between uh, especially because we we did not have to worry about managing the scenario the scenario was managed therefore we truly felt like it was us versus the game the game was actually thinking for itself via the app so that was really cool. I've really enjoyed Descent. So those are my, those are my those are my four suggestions. Nice. I can definitely dig it. Yeah, I mean, one that came to mind real quick as far as competitive, it's fun. It's kind of off the beaten path. Is a, a card game called Cover Your Assets. Pretty quick and easy to, to learn. <laughs> Have you played play. Cover Your Kingdoms? I haven't, but it sounds like I need to. Um, <laughs> so that that's a that's a really fun, quick game, but. I can't go into that much more than that, so check it out because we're out of time, folks. That's right. We've talked your ear off. Some of us are, uh, I don't know, we've got more to say. But if you have any games you're interested in, let us know. Alton's already thrown it out there, um, how to contact us, but I'll say it again. You can email us at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com. And with that said, we're out of here. And tell your story, whatever may come. And no matter what game you're playing, whether it's competitive or cooperative, remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.